Yeah, Third John says, I have no greater joy than to see my children walking in the truth. Thank you for raising such great kids. They can grow up in a church like this. We have good news for you. Last week, our giving wasn't, as reported, about $10,800, but really $21,000. And that's significant because we're moving toward the hiring of a worship pastor, a director of worship already. We have 14 different candidates. So be praying for us as we go through that process and that God's people would give according to God giving to you. We begin this morning <clears throat> with a slide of a little guy you may know. There's Isaac. <laughs> Isaac O'Hara, the son of Aaron and David O'Hara, who underwent this week an attack from a sea creature, either a large bluefish or a shark. You know, some people can talk about being um, stung by a bee. Some can talk about being bitten by a dog. And some can talk about being attacked by a shark. Isaac has that now part of his life story. We prayed for God to give him courage and strength and comfort. And there he is in the hospital, you know, thumbs up, baseball hat on, looking good. Hey, there's another picture of Isaac talking to his girlfriend on his cell phone. <laughs> and I believe that the hairs are back. I saw David in the hall. So greet them as you see them and encourage them. It's a great story about courage being unquenchable. If you have a Bible, you can open up to Acts chapter 4. We're going to move through a lot of Scripture today. And if you have a bulletin, on the back side are some fill-in-the-blanks. If you'd like to do that, you have a pen, you can follow along. It may help you because we're going to move through so much Scripture. But if you don't want to do that, they'll be up on the screen. Last week we saw that Peter and John went to pray, and they met this lame man on the way, and he stuck out his um, palms and he asked them for alms, and this is what Peter did say, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have I give unto you, in the name of Jesus Christ, arise and walk. And there was a man who had never walked before, literally walked, and they were asked, in what name, what power did you do this? They said, in the name of Jesus Christ, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. Verse 13, chapter 4, Acts. And when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, unlettered, ordinary men, never having gone to a seminary, never having gone to Bible college, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. These men had been with Jesus. They knew Jesus, and they had been with him, and their lives were now in being empowered by the Holy Spirit. They saw the man standing there who had been healed. Now, here's a little Greek lesson. In Greek, the word for standing is stasis. And the word in Greek for the word resurrection is anastasis, meaning standing up. If someone is dead, they're lying down. But if they're anastasis, they're standing up. These apostles were standing up to the authorities. And here was a man who was standing up, who had never stood up before. He was a living example of the power of God to raise a life. And they, believed, they saw courage and confidence running through the life of Jesus. But now they had crucified Jesus. In the lives of the apostles, there was this courage and this great confidence. So they conferred with one another as to what to do. What are we going to do with these men? No one can doubt a great miracle has happened in our city. So they made threats upon them. They warned them to not speak in the name of Jesus. And the apostles said, you judge for yourselves what's right and 
God's sight. But we cannot stop speaking about what we have heard and what we have seen. There was a confidence inside these men. We're living in times when it sometimes is difficult to be a Christian. This week, there was a California high school student who said, bless you, in his health class. You know, that's a normal thing when someone sneezes, say bless you. But the student was taken 25 points away from his health teacher because the health teacher said that comes from an archaic time when we believe there were spirits living inside of people. We said bless you to help the person. We no longer believe there's spirits. That's not allowed in my classroom. Five students recently in a, a college out in a community college, Sinclair, were there on the campus to distribute Christian literature and talk about sexual purity. They were summarily um, met by the security guard, and two of these students were arrested. Vanderbilt University has determined that five Christian groups on campus are in violation of the school's non-discrimination policy. It states that um, anybody, anywhere, can join any group on campus. The Christian groups, on the other hand, believe that there's beliefs and values that a leader should have in order to be a leader of that organization. Five Christian groups have been found to be in violation of that policy. In um, Fort Worth, Texas, a little boy by the name of Dakota Airy was suspended a day because he was having a conversation with a friend in his classroom about homosexuality. The um, teacher determined this person was in violation of the school's policy about tolerance. We ask, are we really living in America? Is this really happening here in this land? It takes courage to be a Christian. The early Christians were under attack, and Christians in our country are also coming under attack. Some are indifferent, but some are increasingly hostile to our faith. It takes courage and confidence from knowing and spending time with Jesus and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. So what did they do? Chapter 4 and verse 23. Upon their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign God, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Worship is coming into God's presence with God's people, declaring who He is, praising Him for the God He is, and reflecting upon His Scriptures and praying to Him. You see, when we worship, we come into God's presence with humility. It is joining our hearts together, being of one accord. When the Christians were under attack then, as well as now, there is worship. And they declared who God is. They declared that God is sovereign. Their prayer began in worship with sovereign Lord. God, you are sovereign over our situation. God, you are the ruler. God, you are reigning. God, you are authority over every situation, every circumstance of our life. Our God has power to work in us in every circumstance we face. And they praised Him. They praised Him for being the Creator. You made the heavens and the earth and the sea. God, you created the yellow sun. You created the yellow banana. 
you created the yellow backfin, backfin tuna. God, you created the green grass. God, you created the green mountain. God, you recreated our green. God, you made the blue sky. God, you made the blue sea. God, you made the blue whale. And the blue whale sings its praise to you, O oh God. God, you are the creator. You created all things. You created the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is inside of them. And you spoke through the Holy Spirit. They were reflecting on these scriptures. You spoke through the Holy Spirit saying, why do the nations rage? Why are the nations so angry? Why do the nations make plans against you? The kings gathered their armies together. They stood together. They plotted against your anointed, your son, Jesus Christ. You see, they figured out that what David wrote about in Psalm 2 was happening in their generation. That there was leaders, Pilate, Herod, who had conspired against Jesus. And Pilate had condemned him to death. So how did the early church pray? They said, verse 29, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. They were praying for courage to take a stand. They were praying for courage not to be intimidated. They were praying for courage not to be afraid. They were praying for courage to take a step of faith. They were praying for courage to not back down when they were being intimidated. You see, there was authorities around them trying to intimidate the believers into backing down, into losing their, their voice. They were saying that, yes, you have some authority, but God has authority over us. Yes, you have a voice, but God has given us a voice, and with our voice, we're going to use it to testify. Yeah, you've told us not to speak, but God has told us to witness, and we're going to obey God and not man. They were praying for courage, courage to live their lives, for confidence in the face of this intimidation. We see all around the world that Christians are being intimidated, being threatened. In Iran, you may not know this or not, but there's a great movement of God right now in the nation of Iran. You hear much about their leader, but you hear very little about how God is moving in that nation. Often there are dreams, and people are seeing Jesus in their dreams. And people are beginning to speak out. One of them whose name is Pastor Youssef Nadarkhani. He has um, been charged with apostasy in Iran. He is a pastor of a Christian church. Though he was not converted from Islam to Christianity, he does have Islam in his roots. So in a Supreme Court ruling, they ruled him guilty of apostasy. He was given two opportunities to recant. But to this very day, Pastor Youssef has not recanted his Christian faith. And there is a call to Christians in every nation to pray for Pastor Youssef, that he might be strong in the face of this kind of intimidation, that he might be fearless in the face of the authorities, and that he might live his life true before God. So would you pray with me? Our God in heaven, as you stretch forth your hand, so long ago to deliver your children from Egypt. Egypt. So, Father, stretch forth your hand, your outstretched hand with your power, and deliver Pastor Yosef from this indictment, from this arrest, from this imprisonment, from what seems death in his face. 
We pray, Lord, for courage for him. We pray, Lord, for confidence for him. We pray, Lord, for your comfort for him as he sits in the, in the jail and his church prays for him. So we join with his people and praying, Lord, for his deliverance and his release in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. It said, stretch out your hand to, to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. <laughs> you know, there's a ministry going on in our city. It's called Epicenter. The uh, various churches, the youth are coming together in a place called Epicenter. And they really believe that the Christians will gather in a place, that God will shake that place. And out of that place... God will shake the city. You see, I believe that God has the power to shake our city. I believe that God has the power to shake our nation. God has the power to shake the nations. And that power is released through prayer. When they prayed together, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and given boldness to witness their faith. One of my prayers for the church is that God might make us courageous, that God might make us bold, that God might strengthen us in whatever situation we are. And so what happened in the church? How would you characterize? And the third one is that their community and their unity were flowing out of being of one heart and one soul. We read in chapter 4 and verse 32 that all the believers were one at the level of heart and mind. Their hearts were surrendered to Jesus Christ. Their hearts were yielded unto him. They were not ashamed of the gospel. They saw the power of God moving through their city. They saw the power of God moving through their lives. They saw the power of God raising up the lame man. And they were of one heart and one mind. Their minds were focused on pleasing Jesus. They were all of one heart and mind. Community and unity were flowing out of that heart and their soul. Side note, I know many of you are stepping into community. You're becoming part of small groups. And if you aren't part of one yet, we hope you can get part of one because we want you to experience life together in community, a place where you can uh, know one another and be known by each other, where you can love one another and be loved for one another that you can pray for each other and be prayed for. It's a beautiful thing when Christians live together in community and when we manifest unity. That means we're resolving our differences. We're working through our conflicts. We're manifesting unity. You see, I believe that when the Christians will manifest unity in the city, then the city will pay attention to the Christians. Often it's asked, what do the people outside of the church think about the church well they don't think about the church it's just simply not something they think about but if the christians will be present in the city if they will manifest unity in the city if they will be the manifest presence of jesus in the city then i believe the community will take note of the christians and fourth power is supplied by the holy spirit enabling us to testify about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is risen from the grave. 
trampling over death by death. He has conquered over the grave. They were testifying to the resurrection of Jesus. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of Jesus. They gave witness to the fact that God was risen from the dead. And God was unleashing his mighty power by the Holy Spirit. I have been part of teams, and perhaps you have also, evangelistic teams, traveling to cities in various cities, traveling to foreign countries, being on college campuses. I have found on those college campuses, often students were indifferent at first, and sometimes the administration was hostile. But always on the campus, there were those who were interested. There was an open door in the lives of some. And often we felt weak. (laughs) We felt inadequate. We felt intimidated by these hallowed halls of learning. And we asked the question often on these campuses, what are we doing here? But as soon as we began to pray, as soon as the people I was with began to pray, there was a filling of God's Spirit into our lives. We would pray things like, God, you are on the throne, and we are your servants. We're here to do your business. God, empower our witness. And almost always we found when we prayed, God's powers were released through us. You see, brothers and sisters, the power of God in your life is released through, through prayer. It is the power to testify that our God is risen, our God is alive. And God's grace was flowing through these believers. Grace describes this enrichment of life that results from the power and the presence of God. You see, as the grace of God was flowing into their lives, the grace of God was flowing out of their lives. Much grace was upon these believers. The favor of God was resting upon them. And then point five, generosity flows from seeing somebody's need and being willing to help. They shared everything they had There were no needy people among them. From time to time, those who owned lands and houses sold them and brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anybody who had a need. I learned yesterday, one of our elders, man of God, visiting one of our former elders. And when he came, he discovered the wife's car had flooded out and said, I discern you have a need. (laughs) You need a dry vac. So he went and found a dry vac and began to sucking the water out of her car, blessing her life. Imagine what it would be like, brothers and sisters, if we simply walked upon this community, looking around, looking for needs, and seeking to meet the needs that God permits us to meet. We're living in a time when our government must be whittling down from ginormous to a smaller form of government. And the amount of money available to help people, obviously must become lesser. We're already beginning to experience this, where more and more people are coming by the church asking for help. It's almost a daily occurrence. And thank you for your generosity, enabling us to be able to give to those who ask of us, giving to them food if they're hungry, giving to them prayers when they're asking for them. But imagine to be like this. If we walk through our communities and we saw the four sales signs, and we knew of the foreclosures, and we knew of the hard financial times and the bankruptcies, and we did not ignore the needs that were around us, but we allowed the Holy Spirit to prompt us to move toward a person who's with great need. 
And we simply volunteered and said, what can we do to help? Can you imagine the impact of the church upon a city that simply asked somebody, what can I do to help? How can I be there for you? You see, what happened was there were widows in the town, and they could not afford their daily food. So they took this uh, monies they were given, and they distributed to the widows according to their needs. And it was a beautiful thing, because the Christians in the city were making a difference. They were seeing a need and trying to help somebody in need. And this generosity that, flew, that came from God was flowing through their lives. And brothers and sisters, we have this opportunity at this moment in this nation to be a generous people and to share that which God has given to us with others. You know, the prayer, give us this day our daily bread, may be a real prayer in America real soon. That God's given to us two loaves and I can extend a loaf to my brother who's really hungry. This generosity was flowing from God to them, seeing people in need and being willing to help. And there was this man whose name was Joseph. And Joseph was such a great encourager because he was a wealthy man. And he took his land, his house, and he sold it. And he put it at the apostles' feet. And we know this man Joseph for the name Barnabas, that he was a son of encouragement. That wherever you see this man Barnabas showing up in Scripture, he was always bringing encouragement, always finding a need and seeking to meet somebody's need around him paying attention to the needs of others. Well, there came in chapter 5 a couple whose name was Annas and Sapphira, and they also owned a land, a house, and they sold it. But they only brought part of the proceeds to the apostles. Now, while it was theirs, they could do with it anything they wished. They could keep it to themselves. They could give it for the needs of others. But what happened was they lied about the amount they gave they were living in hypocrisy, living in pretense. And Annas and Sapphira both would perish because of their deeds. And great fear came upon the church. You see, fear flows out of respecting God's holiness and seeing him deal with hypocrisy. Half of the misery in this world comes from trying to look instead of trying to be what one is not. The word hypocrisy means playing the actor, deliberate deception. You see, this was the cleansing, the healing of the church, that there were those living in deception, deliberate hypocrisy that God was dealing with. And now this fear of God was beginning to happen, respecting God's holiness and seeing him deal with hypocrisy. But fearlessness, point seven, flows out of acknowledging God's authority, refusing to be intimidated. What happened was the apostles were released, and they were put then back in jail. When they went back in jail, they had a guard standing at their prison cell. At nighttime, an angel of God came to the jail and released them from the prison. So they were released and told back to go back and teach in the name of Jesus. When the Sanhedrin met, they said, bring forth the apostles. So they went looking for them, and the guard was there at the, at the gate, but the apostles were no longer in the jail cell. <laughs> and they said, these men are again teaching and preaching in the name of Jesus Christ. We find them again in chapter 5, in verse 28. And they said, these men have filled Jerusalem with the teaching. 
And Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. Now listen to their message in verse 30 and following. The God of our ancestors has raised Jesus from the dead. The first point they make is, our God is not dead, our God is alive, that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. And then they said, whom you killed by hanging on a cross. It was Jesus who went to the cross for crimes he did not do. He was, in him was no sin, but he became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. But God has exalted him to his very own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring to Israel repentance and forgiveness of her sins. You see, Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead, exalted to the right hand of God, and God has sent his Holy Spirit that we might repent of our sins and find forgiveness from God. And we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. And they were furious with these men. They were enraged. They were trying to stop the movement of Christianity. They believed that if we shut down the leaders, we'll shut down the movement, and Christianity will be dead. And so they began to confer among themselves, the Sanhedrin, what are we going to do with these guys? And there came one whose name was Gamaliel. He was a teacher, Paul. And Gamaliel said, if this movement is of man, it's going to fail. But if this movement is of God, you're never going to be able to stop it. I suggest you let these men go. And they were let go, but first of all, flogged. You see, if Christianity is simply a movement of men, it will always fail. But if Christianity is a movement of God, where God begins moving through a city, then nothing's going to stop it, because nothing can stop his people. His people will not be intimidated by threats. You see, this joy comes out of the overflow of the heart. The apostles left the Sanhedrin, the eighth point, rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for his name. You see, Jesus had said that in this world you're going to face suffering. And all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer at some point persecution. John Wesley sent out his preachers, and they went on their circuit riding on their horses. And he'd come back and he'd say to them, was anybody today converted? <laughs> and they said, no, Mr. Wesley, no one's converted. He said, did you make anybody mad? He said, yeah, we made a lot of people mad. He said, either it's going to happen like this. When you preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, either they're going to get converted and become in love with Jesus, or they're going to get mad at you. And what happened to these guys was, when they were preaching the gospel, people were getting furious with them. And they were trying to shut them down. And what they did before they released them was they flogged them, which means they whipped them. You see, they whipped Jesus, and they whipped his followers. They beat on Jesus, and they beat on his followers. But they considered it a great honor to be able to suffer disgrace for the name of Jesus. They left that place rejoicing. You know what that tells me? That intimidation and threats, warnings, cannot rob a Christian of his or her joy. This joy comes from the heart. And even in the worst times, a song can be given to God. 
We know of Paul, Paul and Silas in prison, having been flogged, but singing to God with hymns in the middle of the night and rejoicing. And day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. And then there came a man whose name was Stephen. And Stephen was a man full of grace and full of God's power. And he testified strongly what God did in his life. And there arose opposition to him. And they trumped up charges against him. And Stephen had the very face of an angel. And so Stephen began to testify. Acts chapter 7 is a wonderful history of God's dealing with Israel, especially pertaining to the law and the temple. But then what happened was they took up stones against Stephen. And St Stephen saw the glory of God filled with the Holy Spirit. And he saw Jesus standing. And these were the last words of Stephen. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. So then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. You see, the very last words of Stephen, which means crowned with glory, was he offered forgiveness to those who threw stones at him. Where did this forgiveness came from? This forgiveness came from being forgiven of God. And it started an enormous process because one of those standing there was Saul. And Saul saw the courage and Saul saw the confidence and, God, and Saul saw the, the strength of this man under great trial who offered forgiveness to those throwing the stones at him. When I ministered in a little town in India, there were those who were undergoing persecution. And I asked about them, and I learned that one of the first things they did was they offered forgiveness to those who brought the persecution against them. And what Jesus Christ said from the cross is, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I want to tell you, the Spirit of God was giving them courage. Pastor Mike's going to walk us through now as we prepare ourselves to receive the bread and cup. But first, let me pray. Our Father, we see the movement of your Holy Spirit through human lives. And we pray now for the Holy Spirit to move also in our lives, empowering us, giving us courage, giving us confidence, building unity, helping us form community, showing grace, showing generosity, not being intimidated. Lord, help us to be strong. Yes. Help us to be courageous, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Isn't it great to hear about...